thank you, God. We thank you that you are the awesome Father that you've invited us into your house, that we can be known as your children, child of the Most High God, your perfect Father. I pray today now as we talk about real-life dads, you would help us not to get confused about them being you and that we would look to you to be our comfort, our companion, and that you would help us to look at our dads through your eyes, eyes of love and compassion. And we thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in our midst. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful. I'm so glad that you're here. Did you get to look at the cars already? I just think this is so crazy that... You know, last year we had our, you know, last couple of years actually, it's been so hot you could hardly stand out there and look at cars, and today it's freezing, right? You know, it's like, oh my goodness. But you can get warm with a hot dog, okay? That's terrible, isn't it? Oh, maybe that would help in some way. So, you know, I was reading in the newspaper yesterday about Father's Day, and, uh, you know, just some, it didn't tell me something I didn't know, but it actually just said that, you know, talking about guys, said sometimes we have a hard time, you know, expressing our feelings and, uh, knowing exactly how to, you know, get to that emotional side of who we are. And so it is said that I should encourage guys today uh, by uh, helping you to feel, okay? So I just this is right from the newspaper article I was reading yesterday, so I thought I would do that. So a couple of jokes. It said, make dads laugh. And the first one is this. It says, dad and I went out to dinner, and the waitress saw his half-empty plate. She asked, do you want a box for that? My dad goes, no, but I'll wrestle you for it. <laughs> oh, I know. This is terrible. You think Mark Hadley was up here. Okay. And so, <laughs> oh, and here's another one. When does a dad become a dad joke? Here we go. When the punchline becomes apparent. Okay. So that's, there you go. So, I thought you were gonna. You're supposed to laugh, not groan. Okay, as we do this. So uh, I, I love this one, and this will really date some of us. I had actually looked this one up to see what it meant. Some of you are gonna know. Some of you can help those around you. Here we go. My dad was recently diagnosed with Tom Jones syndrome. He asked the doctor, "Is that rare?" The doctor replied, "It's not unusual." <laughs> I still don't get it, <laughs> but some of you do. I know Scott. It's a song he's saying. It's not on you. There we go. Got that. Got that. So uh, here's some just some quotes from dads. Okay, here we go. This is from John Stewart. He said, "Fatherhood is great because you can ruin someone from scratch." <laughs> Love that. Oh, and here's Jerry Seinfeld. He said this: "You can tell what was the best year of your father's life because they seem to freeze that clothing style and write it out." <laughs> Dave Barry, the comedian, he writes this. He says, I enjoy Father's Day. It's a time when I pause to reflect on the joy that comes into my life. Thanks to my two wonderful children, whose names escape me. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's just some help from uh, some lines from Father's Day cards. I thought this might help when you're thinking about what do you write in your card, okay? So here we go. Happy Father's Day to the only person on the planet willing to employ me. <laughs> Please accept this Father's Day gift as a token of my poverty. <laughs> it's 
what it was like when I was young, I tell you. You're the world's greatest dad, although my frame of reference is limited. <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, and I'll just skip that one. Uh, and so, happy Father's Day from your least disappointing child. <laughs> so that's maybe some of you write this. And then the last one is this. Dad, you've always been like a father to me. <laughs> so okay, here we go. So does that help? You know, so now you know if you need some help writing in your Father's Day card, you'll know how to do that. And I just want to welcome all the dads to Twin Cities today as we celebrate Father's Day. So dads and stepdads and granddads and single dads and those who long to be dads, uh, those who are grandpas and uncles who are filling in as dads in their role, I just want to welcome you, and we're just so glad that you're here. And what I want to do is I just want to be true to what the Bible commands, okay? It's a command in the Bible uh, in Deuteronomy, but then uh, Paul takes it from Deuteronomy and brings it into Ephesians. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to grab your message notes, okay? The message notes, and you look at the top of that, there's a verse there uh, from Ephesians 6, and this is the command that Paul gave. It's right from the Bible. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. You might underline that. Things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Long life on the earth. Now, this command doesn't say to honor your mother and father if they were blue-ribbon parents, does it? It doesn't say to honor your mother and father if they were perfect and never did anything you need to forgive. It doesn't say to honor your father and mother if they gave you everything you wanted everything you thought you desired. It just says to honor them because of who they are, not because of what they've done or what they may not have done that you needed. And if you do so, there's a promise that things will go well for you. You will have a long life on the earth. So um, I started my day. I put a little thing on my uh, social media to say I want to honor my dad today. And I want to just say a couple of words about honoring my dad today because I want a long life on the earth. And so my dad is no longer living, but I honor him for all he overcame, all that he was able to move beyond, what he was able to do with what little he was actually given from his death. As a boy, he was physically, emotionally abused by his dad. His dad was a raging alcoholic. And my dad made it his goal to never be that kind of dad. Never. And he wasn't. He was so much more than uh, his dad ever was for him. My dad only received a seventh grade education. And he took that and he leapt into the world and started having children and with a limited education. My dad was a blue collar worker. He was a welder. And he would end up sometimes having two to three jobs at a time just so that our family could, of three kids, could have a life that he wanted to give us. My dad was one of the hardest working men I've ever known. And he provided for us in a huge way. And now all three of his children uh, have college degrees and some even with master's degrees because my dad was a provider and he made it possible. He believed in us. And so I just wanted to honor my dad by saying that today, that my dad did the best he could do with what he had been given. In fact, he overcame what he had been given. And many of you come from those kinds of environments as well, and you could say the same kinds of stories. So a movie opened this weekend that has a dad in it that I admire, 
And he is a dad who set the bar for what it means to be incredible. Let's watch this. Superheroes are illegal. We want to fight bad guys. I never see bad guys. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have... What? Someone on TV said it. I was approached by this tycoon who wants to talk about hero stuff. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need Elastigirl. Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. That's not the way you're supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it. This I don't way. know that way. Why would they change math? No, math is math. Math is math. All over Dusseldorf. Doozles are dozing. Oh, that's so heavy. Close it! I couldn't have done this if you hadn't taken over so well. I've got to succeed so she can succeed. So we can succeed. Bob. What the? That is freaky. But I can't keep giving him cookies. Nobody in a daddy. What? Done properly, parenting is a heroic act. Done properly. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, we got prepared for that this week as a family and watched the first one, so we could be ready for this one to watch that because it's just so dynamic watching that. And, you know, as awesome as Mr. Incredible is as a dad, uh, let's just be honest this morning as we start out. Some of us didn't have a dad that we would call incredible. You know, our dads may have done their best, but their best may have ended up being less than what we needed. Or maybe they didn't do their best at all. Because of, and because of that, Father's Day may be filled with pain and sadness for some of you. And if that's you, I just want to suggest that you go back to the song that we sang just a few moments ago about the Father's love and about him inviting you into his home to embrace his love, that you would be able to learn to rest in the father love of God. And God can come in and he can heal the father wounds that you have. He's a compassionate and a caring and a way capable father. There are also dads here that are on watching online as well that have regrets for the way they did this fatherhood thing. And uh, I think that, you know, coming up on my second child, graduated from high school, and you look at those times and uh, look at those moments, and you think, I wish I would have been able to do more. I wish I have been able to give them more, do more, fill them with more. Do, and, and you just realize that you could only do what you could do, but you, you have regrets as you end up to that place. Um, and so I just know, I just want you to say, I know what that's like if you're feeling that as a dad, the regret. I remember when I was younger, how I used to think that I knew what it meant to be a parent, and I knew what kids needed and the best way to give it to them, and I felt I knew how to be the best dad possible, and then I had kids, <laughs> and all that went out the window. All that was gone. Kids will humble you, won't they? They really humble you. So, Dad, I just want you to know I'm not an expert today when I talk about this. Uh, and I'm going to talk about how to be a rock star dad, but I'm not an expert on this. I'm a fellow struggler with you who continues to learn what it's like to be a dad, and as we're going to talk about today, a man. A man 
after God's own heart. Now, I need this message today as much as I needed it 37 years ago when I became a dad, because today's message is about being a good dad. It's about being a good man. It's about being the kind of man that my wife, my kids, my church, and my community, they all need. So as I said, I want to be a dad after God's own heart. I want to be the kind of man that God looks at. You think about when he said about King David, that God looks at, and he says this as he looks at me. He says, you know, I know he doesn't look like much, but trust me when I say it's not so important what you see that matters. What is important is what is on the inside and in the heart. That is what is most important to me. And so today's message is all about that. It's how to be a biblical man after God's own heart. And I want to call it a manhood reset. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, you can also just want to say this. If you don't own a Bible, I want to give you one. So you stop right up there. Their Bible's free. You can take one today and you can have one to read on your own. And so the verse that Pastor... Um, Dennis read just a few moments ago is this. He says, 1 Corinthians 16 is be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like man. I want you to underline that, circle it. Be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So we have this five imperatives that Paul gave here. And the center one is that we would act like men. So that's the hub. And then the spokes are the other four. And he describes what it's like to act like men by the other four Spokes, And that's what we're going to look at today because, honestly, there's a lot of confusion in today's culture about what it looks like to be a man. And so we're going to turn to the Bible, what God says, as to what it would be like to act like a man. Because the world needs men who act like men. Now, I'll just say this. It's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take a lot of courage if we're going to act like men according to the way the Bible says. But I believe that with God's direction, I believe this empowerment, that we can become the kind of biblical men that God wants us to be. So I'm going to give four observations, those four spokes. And the first one is that I would be alert. If I'm going to act like a man, I need to be alert. Men, we need to wake up. See, real men make it their goal to be on guard. So they can protect their families. They see that as one of the opportunities they have and the obligations they have is to be the protector. So real men are aware, biblical men are aware of what's going on around them. It said, be watchful, be watchful. So to be watchful means to be awake. It means to be aware. It means to pay attention. It's actually a military term. And so in Bible days, the cities had walls and the walls were there to protect the people that were inside and keep them from the protecting from the bad things that were outside. And so they put sentries on the wall, and the sentry's job on the wall was to guard and to be aware, obviously stay awake, and then to warn the people on the inside when danger was coming. So that was the role of a sentry. And so what this means is for biblical men is it's a call that we'd be aware of what's going on around us, aware of what's going on in the lives of our family members, aware of what's going on in culture so that we can be the one that's calling the alarm, so we can be the one that's sounding the alert. There's something going on here that's not in alignment with what God would say. First Peter 5 talks about this. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, that's serious. That's serious stuff there. So why do I need to be alert? Well, because I have an enemy. We can't kid ourselves here. It's not us against culture. 
It's us against Satan. It's us against the devil. We have an enemy, an adversary, who's trying to gobble us up. Chew us up and spit us out. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we know that we have this enemy, and this enemy in no way has our best interest in mind or at heart in any way, I, it, for me, what's done is creates a sense of urgency that I need to stay alert. Because if I'm not alert, I'm putting my family at risk. He seeks out those who are putting their heads in the sand. He seeks out those who are not aware, who are asleep, who aren't keeping watch, looking for any weakness that he can exploit for his gain and our demise. So then Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, so be on guard. Now, when he's writing to the Thessalonians, and as he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians that we just read, these are folks that had lost their alertness, that they were not awake, and they were allowing false teachings, and they were allowing uh, other ideals to come in, and then that they were compromising the faith. And so they were in danger of losing their Christian distinctives. And so he says, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others, stay alert, and be clear-headed. Now, when I read that, I thought about the disciples, right? Think about the disciples. Think about the night that they were with Jesus. Jesus leaves them, and he says to them, stay awake and pray. He said, stay awake, alert, and pray. And what we, we know what happens. Many of us know the story. What happened is, is that they lost their sense of urgency, and they gave in to their flesh, their desire to sleep, and they fell asleep, and they didn't pray. And that describes so many of us. We're asleep at the switch. And, and we're just not aware of what's going on. And what this means is that we need to stay awake and we need to stay away from activities that numb us, that numb us from our ability to be able to notice when evil is at our doorstep so that we can be the ones who sound the alarm. So the first is to be alert. Second, I have to be grounded. So I have to be grounded. I have to know truth. I have to know truth. says, stand firm in the faith. I want you to underline the word firm. Stand firm in the faith. That's the word, the Greek word stecho, and it actually gives us the idea that I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. I'm going to drive a stake in the ground that I'm going to say, I'm going to build my life on this. That's the idea here. Those who stand firm are staked to the truth. They're grounded in the truth. They're tethered, and they're held firm by their faith. They're confident and what God has said. So that's the faith. What's the faith? The faith is the content of God's revelation. That's the faith. The content of God's revelation. Where do I find God's revelation? This is why I wanted to give you a Bible today. I find the content of God's revelation in this book. And it's right here. So I'm grounded, and I know it to be true, when I experience God and his teachings from this book. So the key to faith is to be grounded in God's word, to believe that this is God's written, God's God-breathed word to us. It's from him. This is not just a book. It's God's word to us, and he's re- right, he's speaking to us through men, through inspiration, so that we could know his word. And he says he wants us to stand firm, and so we're grounded in the truth. Stand firm in that. Isaiah says this, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. Unless your faith is firm, stake down, I cannot make you stand firm. So he's saying, there are no shortcuts here. Yeah, don't be thinking that just because you know me, that I'm going to rescue you from your own decisions, from the choices you make. No, you have to make your decisions based on what I say. So don't expect me to make your life easy if you're not grounding your life on this word. That's what Isaiah is saying. James says, says without faith, that you'll be tossed around like a dinghy in the ocean. And so without grounding in his word. And the idea here is not just that we're grounded in his word, that we have to grow in his word. So we have to grow in faith. We must mature. Paul says, I used to think like a child, but now I'm reasoning like a man. He's talking about the idea that when I come to Jesus Christ, I have a certain level of knowledge. That's what gives me the ability to say yes to Jesus. But and it says, now mature, mature, move on and grow to a deeper understanding of what God's word says. So move forward beyond the faith that you had when you said yes to Jesus. And so, man, we have to do the work to discover the truths of God's word written to reveal his way. That's what it says in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Now, in one of the, right, one of the books in Timothy, I can't remember which one right off the top of my head, but it talks about that there will be a day when people turn away from the truths of this book. There will come a day when people turn away from the truths of this book, and we're living in that day. We're living in that day. But I'll just say this. It's not a new thing. So you know, we, we talk about things that come at us and like, wow, this is so new. Well, you know, if you go to the Bible and you read it, you see that the things that are coming at us today are just the things that have come at people all through time. And the first instance that we have in the Bible of a distortion of truth, a distortion of God's word, is in Genesis chapter 3. It's in the Garden of Eden. This is the very first attack against God's word, and it came from the serpent, the one who was here to seek, kill, and destroy and it came with this question. And here was the question. Has God really said that you can't eat from every tree in the garden? So he questioned God's statement and truth to them, but also he twisted God's truth to them. He took the word of God and he twisted that. And the, God, and the devil's been working throughout time from the very beginning to erode confidence in God's word so that we won't build our lives on his word, to get people to doubt the word of God, to get people to deny the word of God. But biblical men, what they do is they lead their families by driving a stake in the ground concerning the faith, concerning the words of the book that are God's revelation of himself that they say, I'm standing in confidence on the word of God, whether it's popular or not. Jesus said it this way. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. So I want, you to, I want you to make the distinction here of what Jesus is saying. When I said that we have to have faith that grows, that faith that matures, I'm not talking about more knowledge, folks, unless you have application that goes with your knowledge. So what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, if you learn and you do, you will have a solid life. If you learn and you don't do, be like shifting sand. And your, your life won't be solid. You'll be staked in sand. And we all know what happens when the winds blow or the waves come in, that the sand is just washed away and your life won't be secure. 
Okay, be grounded. Third, be strengthened. Be strengthened. And the phrase was be strong. Be strong. Now, this is a little different than the other phrases, uh, that the other phrases are in the active voice. We know what the active voice is. I give a command, it says, go do this, and I do it. This is in the passive voice. So what it's saying here is that I will be strengthened, but it's, it comes from outside. I can't do this on my own. I can't make myself the kind of strong that the, God is calling me to do. The Amplified Bible paraphrase actually has it like this. Act like man and be courageous. Grow in strength. Be strengthened. So when it talks about being strengthened here, it's not talking about being physically strong. So this is not saying, okay, I'm going to go to the gym every day. And I'm going to lift weights, and I'm going to get buffed, and I'm going to do all the things, and everyone will look at me, and they say, ooh, that person really is strong. That person really works it out. Now, now I'd say there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's great that some folks give themselves to doing that. But what he's talking about is a different kind of strength. He's talking about a strength of character. He's talking about, talking about being strong in integrity. He's talking about being strong in courage to do the right thing, even though the waves of culture would be going against the right thing. He was talking about growing in responsibility. So I'm strong when I'm a servant leader. That's how I'm strong, when I'm a servant leader. A strong man is gentle and has strength that's restrained. A strong leader doesn't have to rule over others based on physical strength alone. Instead, he's willing to serve others by being spiritually strong. Jesus is our model for this. He's our, he's our model for this. He's the strongest man that ever walked the face of the planet. And yet it said that Jesus gave up his strength so that he could become a servant and so that he could serve us by dying for us and going to a cross. And that's the call. Ephesians 6, Paul writes this. He says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. So the key to becoming strong, and um, I don't know about you, but I'm going to hate what I'm going to about. I hate what I'm about to say, Okay. The key to becoming strong is to be humble before God and others and ask him to give me what I don't have. See, I want to get it on my own, right? I, I want to become strong by what I do. But instead, you want me to admit I'm weak? You want me to be humble? You want me to sit back and when I'm in that position that you're going to actually strengthen me? That's what he's saying right here. It says this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Underline that. For the, when I am weak, then I am strong. And I, I know that even before I came up here today, I was praying through, do this every week, uh, was praying through God's words, through the angel to um, Gideon, and the words were, Gideon was saying, I can't do this, and, they, and the angel said, go in the strength that you have. Well, it wasn't Gideon's strength. It was God's strength. And so that's what he does for us. He gives us his strength. And biblical men know how to access God's strength by humbling themselves before God and asking him to give them what they don't actually have. Okay, I'm going to skip the next verse. Let's go into the next idea. Next observation is be loving. If I'm going to act like a man, I need to be loving. It says let all. Why don't you underline that word all? All means all. That's all all means. It's, it's a really strong word in the Greek. And it's in, it means everything. All that you do be done in love. 
And Paul already in 1 Corinthians has a whole chapter on love, chapter 13, and ends in chapter 13 and saying love never fails. And then he goes into chapter 14, and chapter 14, verse 1, he says this, let love be your highest goal. Love be your highest goal. So there's our marching orders, guys. I think for all of us, let love be your highest goal. And so, man, we have to learn how to be strong and we have to learn how to be compassionate at the same time. We have to learn how to be strong and we have to learn how to be loving at the same time. We have to learn how to be strong and caring at the same time. And so what we need to do, guys, is we need to model to the world what strength expressed in love looks like. So I'm just going to kind of walk through some ideas here. Biblical men are not bullies. Biblical men don't use their physical strength or their tone of voice to get their way. Biblical men are not bullies. Biblical men do not abuse women or children. Biblical men do not abuse women or children. So guys... When we love, we stand up for women and girls. We stand up for them. We refuse to participate in locker room talk. We refuse to watch pornography. We we refuse to objectify women. No woman should ever have to hashtag me too because of the way a man of God treated her. That's not loving a woman. I wish this were true, that no woman would ever have to do that, but it's not. Recently, men of faith, pastors and leaders, have been exposed for using their power to cover their sexual misconduct toward women. And I'm just going to say, this has to stop. We can no longer hide behind a man being in charge and authority and allowing that to be the cover-up for a man abusing, sexually um, being inappropriate with a woman. It just has to stop. So when we love, we stand up for the weak, the oppressed, and the disadvantaged, When we love, we stand up for the least of these. That's what I really loved about last week's talk, is that we stand up for the least of these. Biblical men don't use physical power to get their way. Biblical men, when they love, they lay down their rights for the good of others. Biblical men sacrifice themselves, and they put others before themselves. When a biblical man loves, he gives up his resources so that others can experience a better way and a better life. Every day, every decision provides the opportunity for a biblical man to die to self, to serve other people. And God is looking, God is looking for those whose hearts are turned to him. He's looking for men of courage who are alert to what's going on around them, who are aware, who are grounded in what this book says so that when things come at them, they're able to filter it through the truths of this book. Especially, I'll just say this, especially in our day of extra revelation that's going on in the prosperity gospel movement, 
where the prosperity gospel movement saying it's great that we have God's revealed word here, but God still reveals his word to people and we're going to speak it. Folks, that's not the Bible. That's not the Bible. And a biblical man filters truth through the Bible. A biblical man's willing to admit, you know what? I just need strength. I need help. And biblical men make love their highest aim. And God wants us to stand up and say, I'll be the man God wants me to be. And I'll just say that's a manhood reset when we come to that place. God has called us to be lovers. Love is action. But I want to end with this thought. We cannot do it alone. One thing that I left out as we went through all the imperatives, five imperatives here, is that I said that some are an active voice, one's in passive voice. What I left out is that they're all plural. So if you were to think about what Paul was actually saying, that he was saying this, he was saying, y'all, men, you all men, I want you to be alert. I want you to be watchful. Y'all, y'all, I want you to be strong. I want you to be grounded in the word. And I want you to be like, y'all. So guys, I want you to know that what I'm saying here is that we cannot do this alone. That's what Paul was saying. We cannot do this alone. I had the opportunity uh, this week to talk with an ultra marathon runner. And this ultra marathon runner uh, runs uh, up to the 100 miler things. And she had run actually the one that goes from Tahoe down to Auburn. And so I was saying, well, come tell me a little bit about that. How do you do this? Uh, and how big is your entourage that helps you do this? And so she started listing off to me all the people that help her. And I was thinking about this, that uh, in order to, to run 100 miles, you have to have people that will run 40 miles with you. Really? 40 miles, that they have to be in that good a shape to run 40 miles with you to encourage you to keep going. You have to have people along the way that yell at you to eat your food because you get so in the moment, you forget everything to drink your water. And what she was saying is, I could not run an ultra marathon without my entourage. And guys, I would just say today that we are in an ultra marathon. God has called us to run the race, that we run the race to the finish. And that he says that you need to do it with other men. So I just want to encourage you guys, find other men. And that's why church, our church loves to bring guys together. And so find other men. Be willing to be open to them and follow him. So I just want to end today with the, the key verse to the whole series. Uh, because I, I think the thing is, I love God, love people. And so this series has been built on these verses. We'll end with this and I'll pray. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in all your relationships. You should love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm asking you to bow your heads, and let's just take a moment to pray together. God, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to men today. And I thank you that... Um, really want to thank you for all the women who said, go for it, Ron. And yet at the same time, there were strong words of challenge for women as well today. And so I just thank you, Jesus, for the truth that was spoken, that Paul wrote in his word. And I just pray for us that we would become the kind of biblical men that you've called us to be. 
that we would be watchful. We would not numb ourselves with either activities or substances or entertainment uh, or the things that we can do just to be slothful, um, that we would not numb ourselves and so we miss out on the dangers around us that we would be calling attention to for our family to be aware. I pray that you would help us to learn what it means to be grounded in your word, that we would dig into your word, that we would find in your word the truth for life, and that we would make it our solid and one foundation. I pray that you would help us to be humble enough to say, I can't do this alone. I need God and I need others. I need God to strengthen me and I need others to carry me, to help me. And I pray that you would help us to be loving. And guys, I just, as, as I'm praying about this, I'm thinking about the greatest way you can be strong is for you to love your wife if you're married, that you can respect her, that you can be the provider and pro protector in your home. And I also want to ask that we would also be willing as men to stand up for the abuses we see around us that we would say, this can't be. Especially when we see men of faith abuse their power and position to gain leverage or to even have sexual pleasure because of who they are. That we as men would stand up and say, this cannot be. We will stand against it. Jesus, I thank you so much. And I just go back to the beginning when we laughed, and I know it's been serious in the middle. And we just want to tell you that we want to turn to you and ask you to fill us with all we need all the way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.